If you want to know how to create like the grades, let's break it down. Finding a service solution that helps you better connect with your customers and keep them happy can feel impossible. It's kind of like trying to remember the name of the guy that you just met at a networking event. Was it Ron? Was it Don? Was it John or Sean? Who knows, right? It's like that kind of impossible. HubSpot's all new service hub can help. Well, with the service solution part, at least. It brings service and success together in one powerful platform for the first time ever. With an AI-powered help desk and an AI chatbot that helps handle frontline tickets fast. Plus, it comes with a customer success workspace that helps your reps anticipate customers' needs. And a full 360 view of every customer so you can go to market and your go-to-market team can have a pulse on the accounts before you try to upsell or cross-sell. Also, you can scale, support, drive retention, and revenue. And you know what that means. Better service, happier customers at every single stage of the journey. Visit HubSpot.com service to do more with your customers today. Work smart, not hard. This is one of those ideas that sounds great on a billboard. It sounds perfect in a tweet and it might even get you a few email subscribers if you suggest to everyone in the world that it's the truth. You don't need to work hard, you just need to work smart and you'll be able to be successful. But as much as I get that this is a cool catchphrase, it doesn't actually speak into the reality of who gets ahead in life. People who get ahead work both smart and hard. That's my conclusion. My name is Ross Simmons. I'm the host of Create Like the Greats and the CEO of Foundation. One of the top content marketing firms in the world. We work with some of the biggest names in software as our clients. On this segment of the show, it's called Journal Entries. I take you a bit into my world. I take you behind the scenes into my life, the things that I'm thinking about, the things that I'm pondering, questions that I'm asking. Talk about the reasons why I'm doing certain things, why I'm speaking at an event, why I'm investing in a certain company, all of those different things. Today, though, I want to talk about this idea of working smart, not working hard. The reason why I want to talk about it is because I see this post over and over and over again, and I believe truly that it's a bit of a myth. I believe that it's a myth that needs to be debunked, and it's a myth that needs to be thrown out the window. Let's get to it. I think the reality is for a lot of people that they don't clue into is that people who work, get ahead in life work both smart and hard. You can do both, right? It's the combination of working smart and hard that differentiates the best from the rest. Take two people. I want you to take two people with the same intelligence, the same circumstances, the same privileges, the same understanding of the world, the same background. Everything is the same. You give them the exact same amount of hours in a day. These people are just as smart as one another on day one. And these people have access to the exact same resources. But one person, one person decides that they're going to work two extra hours every single week without impacting their eight hours of sleep each night. They're 52 weeks in a year. In one year, the person who puts in extra two hours has 104 extra hours of training, learning, execution, and perspective. In year two, that person is 208. In year three, 312. In year four, they have 400 plus extra hours of experience under their belt in comparison to the person who they started with at the exact same time. Who do you think is going to have the bigger advantage? Kobe Bryant talked about this once, and I want you to just hear his words on this same concept. So if you get up at 10 in the morning, train at 11, right? 12, say 12, train at 12, train for two hours, 12 to two, 
Um, you have to let your body recover. So you eat, recover, whatever. You get back out. You train, start training again at 6. Train from 6 to 8, right? And now you go home, you shower, you eat dinner, you go to bed, you wake up, you do it again, right? Those are two sessions, right? Now imagine you wake up at 3, you train at 4. You go 4 to 6, come home, breakfast, relax, so, so, blah, blah, blah. Now you're back at it again, 9 to 11, right? You relax, and now all of a sudden you're back at it again, 2 to 4. And now you're back at it again, you know, 7 to 9. Look how much more training I have done by simply starting at four, right? And so now you do that, and as the years go on, the separation that you have with your competitors and your peers just grows larger and larger. One of my favorite lectures is a speech by the mathematician Richard Hamming on doing high-quality research. It's just as relevant for business people as it is for science. It's called You and Your Research, Richard Hamming. And I want to share with you the transcription from this because I think it's very powerful. And I want to just read exactly what was published in the Bell Communications Research Colloquium seminar that he had done. Let's dive into it. He said, I give you a story from my own private life. Early on, it became evident to me that Bell Laboratories was not going to give me the conventional acre of programming people to program computing machines in absolute binary. It was clear they weren't going to, but that was the way everybody did it. I could go to the West Coast and get a job with airplane companies without any trouble, but the exciting people were at Bell Labs and the fellows out there in the airplane companies were not. I thought for a long time about it. Did I want to go or not? And I wondered how I could get the best of both possible worlds. I finally said, it, said to myself, Hammy, you think the machines can do practically everything. Why can't you make them write programs? What appeared at first to me as a defect forced me into an automatic programming very early. What appears to be a fault, often by a change of viewpoint, turns out to be one of the greatest assets you can have. But you are not likely to think that when you first look at that thing and think, gee, I'm never going to get enough programmers, so how can I ever do any great programming? And there are many other stories of the same kind. Grace Hopper has similar ones. I think that if you carefully look, you will see that often the great scientists, by turning the problem around a bit, change a defect to an asset. For, For example, many scientists, when they found they couldn't do a problem, finally began to study, why not? They then turned it around the other way and said, but of course this is what it is, and got an important result. So ideal working conditions are very strange. The ones you want aren't always the best for you. Now, for the matter of drive, you observe that most great scientists have tremendous drive. I worked for 10 years with John Tukey at Bell Labs. He had tremendous drive. One day, about three or four years after I joined, I discovered that John Turkey was slightly younger than I was. John was a genius, and I was clearly not. Well, I went storming into Bode's office and I said, how can anybody my age know as much as John Tukey does. He leaned back in his chair, put his hand behind his head, grinned slightly and said, you would be surprised, Hamming, how much you would know if you worked as hard as he did that many years. I simply slunk out of his office. What Bode was saying was this, and I want you to hear this piece. Knowledge and productivity are like compound interests. 
Given two people of approximately the same ability and one person who works 10% more than the other, the latter will more than twice outproduce the former. The more you know, the more you learn. The more you learn, the more you can do. The more you can do, the more opportunity. And it is very much like compound interest. I don't want to give you a rate, but it is a very high rate. Given two people with the exact same ability, the one person who manages day in and day out to get in one more hour of thinking will be tremendously more productive over a lifetime. I took Bode's remark to heart. I spent a good deal more time of my time for some years trying to work a bit harder and I found, in fact, I could get more work done. I don't like to say it in front of my wife, but I did sort of neglect her sometimes. I needed to study. You have to neglect things if you intend to get where you want done or get what you want done. There's no question about this. On this matter of drive, Edison says, genius is 99% precipitation and 1% inspiration. He may have been exaggerating, but the idea is that solid work, steadily applied, gets you surprisingly far. The steady application of efforts with a little bit more work intelligently applied is what does it. That's the trouble. Drive misapplied doesn't get you anywhere. I've often wondered why so many of my good friends at Bell Labs who worked as hard or harder than I did didn't have so much to show for it. The misapplication of effort is a very serious matter. Just hard work is not enough. It must be applied sensibly. The point from this letter is simple. You should work smart, yes. But if you want to separate yourself from the pack, you have to work hard too. That is the message. That is the insight that every creator on the path to creating something great needs to understand to turn something great into a reality. Thank you for listening. See you on the internet. You want to know how to create like the grades, let's break it down.